0: You guys doing good? Again, I am excited to open up my home to you guys tonight for Super Bowl Sunday. This is going to be a great Sunday. We, I'm planning for us to have a, a good time here and a good time tonight. Um, I expect some trash talking. Okay, I expect some bets to be made. Um, I think Ben, uh, Brian was telling me that, hey, if uh, we have jalapeno poppers, uh, and like halftime goes around whoever's winning, and you want to eat so many jalapeno poppers, and I'm like, dude, bring it on, dude. like... <laughs> Because I totally can, I downed the jalapeno the other day at Miller's and he was like, are you for real, dog? Like, like the whole thing just in my mouth and he was tripping out, man. It was the, it was crazy. It cleared my sinuses up like crazy though. But, you know, football and family, that's what we're all about. You know, we love that. You know, anything that can involve the family together to do things together as a team, as a community, as a family is what we're all about here at this church And so this is just one of those ways. So we're excited about that. We're excited about tonight. But first, let's get to today's message. If you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 7. That's where we're going to be today. I promise you, I'll preach as fast as I can. Mark chapter 7 today. We're going to be wrapping up this chapter. Um, We've been going through the book of Mark, verse by verse, since January last year. And we finally have gotten through chapter 6 uh, in last year and in this whole month. We focused on chapter seven, and today we're finishing chapter seven. And we're going to hear a story that we've heard many times before in the chat in the Gospels. We, we're going to hear the story. You're going to be like, man, I've, I know this story. If you've been in church any amount of time, if you've been in church for any amount in your life, you're going to be like, I know that story. I've heard stuff like this before. I'm pretty sure I know where this is going. And you might. But I'm going to tell you that that while this story sounds like what we've always heard, it holds some significance to us. It holds something more to us. Now let me allow us me to set this up for us. As you know, last week, if you remember, Jesus was... Uh, preaching around the area of the Sea of Galilee, and the the Pharisees were messing with him, and and he had kind of put the Pharisees in their place by kind of questioning what they believed and why they believed what they believed, and he kind of made them mad, and so he went across the land to um, this place that was Purely Jewish culture. He left that Jewish prominent land and he went to this place that was mostly Gentile. If you don't know the difference, we had Jews and we had Gentiles and they hated each other. And Jesus was a Jew. And so Jesus, normally you would expect him to hang out with his people. You know, know, Suhente, that's the way you would think he'd stay. And so he gets up from there and he goes to the Gentile land, the enemy land, the the other side, the, the rival place and he goes over there to the and we found him in the area of Tyre and Sidon and this is two parts of the land that are mostly Gentiles and while he's there he gets into a house and as soon as he gets into a house this lady comes knocking on his door asking her him to heal her daughter her daughter had a demon possessing her okay that's just a bad day for anyone Okay, And so she comes over and she's praying to Jesus and she's, she's, she's looking to Jesus to heal. her And because of her faithfulness and because of her willingness to, to take Jesus at any amount, she said to Jesus, she asked him for help. And Jesus said, that, no, no, no. He said, uh, it's not right for me to feed the dogs, which is like you, before my children. And she said, well, that's right, but even the dogs get crumbs that fall off the table. And so what we read there was that people will look at Jesus, and if you're willing to take him at any amount, he is willing to give. And because she said that, he said, I'm going to bless your child and heal your child. And so we learned the lesson last week was we need to be willing at any amount to take Jesus. And to be thankful for anything that we have in our lives at any Amount And this week, we're going to find Jesus in yet another area of the Gentile land. And just a spoiler alert before we go on, he's going to blow our minds again. He always does that. He always does something to kind of blow our minds. But then again, if you expect anything less from Jesus, you're not reading your Bible very well. Because he does this all the time. I mean, Jesus amazes us. He amazes us. I don't think I've ever prayed to Jesus and asked him to do something so great in my life and so awesome and say, Jesus, do something that only you can do, something that is only done by you. And then whenever he does it, I'm like, eh, but that was all right. I expected something better. Like, he's never done that in my life. Like, he doesn't go mediocre. He doesn't go halfway. He gives us all and gives us everything. He blesses us beyond our wildest dreams and beyond where we can ask or imagine. He is caring for us. He is providing for us in ways that we can't even think of. And this is what is going to happen. He's going to bless someone. He's going to blow everyone's minds away. He's going to blow our minds away and this is the point I'm trying to make here, is that we need to be blown away by Jesus at times. The point I'm trying to make today is that we need to be zealous for Jesus. Y'all know that word zealous? The word zealous comes from the word zeal, which means uh, an adjective to be filled with or inspired by intense uh, enthusiasm or zeal. Ardent or fervent. That means to be excited, pumped up like a lion. I mean, just rawr. It's pumped up. You're excited. You want to do something. You're, you're really ready to go. And that is what this means. It means to be zealous. And the question I have for us today, I want us to answer this, is how much zealousy do we have for Jesus? Like, how much zealousy Do we have for Jesus? I firmly believe that we should be so tied into Jesus in our lives that whenever he moves in any way, we feel it. I firmly believe that we should be so excited about every little thing that he does that it just drives us crazy. That everything that he does, it just drives us wild. And so if you have your Bibles to Mark chapter 7, let's find out exactly. How zealous we are for Jesus. This is Mark thirty one. Seven thirty-one. 731. If you want to have your Bibles, we have our Bibles in the back. We have them on the edge of the, 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 the chairs. You can take that home with you. That is our gift to you. You can take one of those home with you today. Um, if not we have the words up on the screen as well. We're starting on Mark chapter seven, verse thirty one. It says that he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee into to the region of the Decapolis. Now just hold up right there for a minute. That he went from Tyre to Sidon down to the region of the Decapolis. And if you remember from chapter 5, the Decapolis is where Jesus healed the crazy demon-possessed man. There seems to be a lot of demon-possessed people over here in the Gentile place. I'm just saying And he goes over there, and he heals the demon-possessed man. Does anyone remember the, the guy's name? Does anyone remember his name? Okay, I'll help you. It was Legion. And Legion was the guy who was possessed by the demons. And the reason he was called Legion is because he had many demons. Thousands of demons were possessing this man, a whole legion, Of demons. If you guys remember the story, Jesus rolls up on the shore, and as soon as he's walking up, this guy's going crazy and all ape crazy and all that. And Jesus rolls up and he goes, Be out of there, demons. And the guy gets really mad and he tells Jesus, Why are you offending us? Why are you coming against us, O Son of God? And Jesus commands the demons to leave. This guy and they go out of the guy and they ask permission from Jesus. Can we enter a bunch of pigs over here? And there's like 2,000 hogs over here that are being heard by these herdsmen. And the demons get out of the man. They go into the pigs. They enter the pigs. The pigs go crazy. The pigs run off to the side of the cliff. They run off the cliff and into the water and they commit piggy suicide. Great story, right? Now, after all of this happened... After all of this happened, Jesus instructed the man to go home and tell his friends about what the Lord has done for you. In fact, in chapter five, verse twenty, it says, Go tell them how much the Lord has done for you. But the funny thing is, is this it's kind of hard to have friends when you're possessed by a demon. The guy had no friends. The guy really probably had no friends. He had been all messed up for years. So who is he gonna go tell? The Bible says in 5, verse 20, it says that he did this instead. It says that he went away and began to proclaim into the capitalist how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. He's like, man, I ain't got no friends. I ain't got no friends because I've been like possessed by demons all my life. And so no one really wants to hang out with me. Um, Who wants to be that guy that goes out with your buddies? And they're like, hey man, who's that guy? He's like, oh, that's his legion. He's got like thousands of demons. He's a cool guy though. He loves the headbang really. You know, like he's really cool, you know? And so who, I mean, who wants to hang out with that guy? And so, but he was so excited and he was so full of zealousy. He He was zealous for what had happened. He was so excited. He said, No. I don't care I have no friends. I'm just going to tell the whole country, the whole region of the capitalists, the whole 10 Roman cities that made up this capitalist empire. I'm just going to tell everyone there. He was that zealous. Now remember that, that he went out and he told everyone. So here, a few months later, Jesus has returned to the capitalists, And let's see what happens. This is the next verse in 7, Mark 7. It so says he rose up and he returned to the capitalist It says, and they brought to him, it says, and they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. Now, who is they? Like, who is they? I, I, I was reading this. I was thinking, who is they? It says that they brought someone to Jesus. No, it, it could be a bunch of people. I mean, there's theories and, and there's the you know, scholars who always wonder, but I mean, we, can, we can't say for sure, but I like to believe it was the friends or the, the people that were told about Jesus by the guy who was healed earlier that year, the legion guy. Or maybe it was the herdsmen that were there with the pigs and they're, they're herding their pigs and their pigs are doing good. All of a sudden, all these demons come over and you know, infect their pigs and they... And the, herdmen, the herdsmen see all this, and they go and they tell everyone in the town. It said that they went to the town, the herdsmen went, and they told everyone in the town what had happened, and then the whole town came to go see what was going on in chapter 5. So maybe they were the herdsmen. Maybe the herdsmen got together and like made like a little church and made a little following for Christ. And they, they, they were like telling people about Jesus, and they heard Jesus was back in town again, and so they bring him this deaf guy to heal. Or maybe it was the guy who, who was healed. Maybe he was the day. Maybe he was the guy who was like, okay, I'm healed. I I know Jesus is back, and I'm going to bring someone who is just as messed up and just as sick as I was to Jesus, and and maybe he can be healed. Whoever it was or whatever the case, we can see a different response from the first time Jesus rolls up into Decapolis to this time that Jesus rolls up into Decapolis. In chapter 5, the people were afraid of Jesus when he first rolled up. He, they were afraid to, said that the herdsmen went out into the city of the Decapolis and they 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 told people about what was going on and when they came, they saw Jesus sitting there with the guy who was possessed with many demons and the guy who was possessed with many demons was just like. Chilling. He had like new clothes on. He was like probably like hanging out, drinking Starbucks or something. Like just you know, just kick back. Like yeah, drinking the coke. And 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 they freaked out because they were like, what type of sorcery is this? Like what is this? Like what is going on? And they told Jesus, please just go. Like just take your powers, take all your voodoo stuff, take all that weird spiritual stuff, and just get out of our land. We are freaking out right now. But at the end it says this though in verse 20 in chapter 5 again it says that as they saw the healed man and the healed man went out into the capitalists it said that he started sharing his story with people and as he was sharing the story people were starting to marvel at this. They were starting to marvel. So this time that Jesus rolls up to the 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 capitalists, instead of everyone being afraid of people, they start to bring him people who are in need of healing. What a turnaround from the first time. What a turnaround from the first time. It's the example of how much can be done if one person just decides to start spreading the, the name of Jesus in the land. Many times we think, man, I can't change my community. I can't change the people. I can't change my family. I can't change people that I know who don't want to follow Jesus, who don't, who don't want to believe in Jesus. But I'm telling you, this one man who went out and started telling people about how Jesus changed his life got people to start liking Jesus. And in a matter of about a year or so, from the first time that Jesus was there, It's the second time that Jesus was there. This one man had spread the name of Jesus so much that when Jesus came back, instead of people being afraid of him, they welcomed Jesus. It's a big thing. And there's a lot of side notes there today, so I'm going to keep going on. Sorry, pastor's side notes. Now we can really get the sermon started. So they bring him this man who couldn't hear and speak very well. And Jesus asks him this. when they ask Jesus to heal him. So and taking him aside from the crowd privately, he puts his fingers unto his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue, and looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, "Ephapha, that is, be opened." And his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. So Jesus, just to kind of recap and kind of redo this, Jesus pulls this guy who was deaf and couldn't speak, and which is typical, uh, you know, side note, uh, side thing to go on with people who are deaf—they can't speak because they can't hear, they can't understand, you know, what it is that they need to say. And so, if you're deaf, more than likely, you can't speak very well. And this is the same case. This guy couldn't speak very well. He was deaf. If you've ever spent time with the deaf community. There ain't too many words that are said. And even if they can't speak, they really do rather just sign their language, which is is part of them. It's a beautiful, beautiful community of people. But this guy comes over here, and Jesus pulls him aside, and he takes him to a private room off the side of the house. And the scripture says that he placed his fingers into the man's ears. Now this is a very personal thing to do at the time. This is a very personal thing to do because for a Jew to touch a Gentile was already bad enough. That was considered making the Jew unclean. That they were really strict about their rules and their laws and their religious stuff. That if a Jew was to touch a Gentile, he would be considered unclean, which means he was unworthy to be around God. But Jesus goes up, and not only does he touch the Gentile, he touches the Gentile's ears. One that's gross already. How many times do you go put your 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 fingers in people's ears? That's just gross. I remember when we were teenagers and we would like make out and stuff, you put that tongue in the ear and, and now I'm an adult. As an adult, I'm thinking ew Grosso. You know, like that's gross. But Jesus puts his fingers in this guy's ears. Can you imagine just, 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 just being there and, and, and being that guy? He puts his fingers into his ears. When Jesus doesn't care about being unclean, he takes it to the next level. Like Jesus is like, okay, this is, this is freaking you out probably, but I'm about to take it to the next level. The Bible says that Jesus then spits and then touches his tongue. Okay and so you know, you know, you might be thinking well maybe he spit on the ground maybe he hawked the loogie, like you know like you know like what do you, you know what are we saying here but if you look later on in chapter 8 there's another story of Jesus healing someone with a um you know a, you know a, a an illness which is blindness and he actually picks up this man's hand and he spits in, and he spits in his hand and he rubs it with some mud And with his own spit, he touches the man's eyes, and they open up. So we can assume Jesus didn't spit. More likely, Jesus spit somewhere on his hand or spit one right on the guy's tongue or something like that to help release the tongue. Now, gross, weird, disgusting, yes. Awesome, oh yeah. Because what happened next was amazing. It says that his tongue was released at that point, that Jesus spit. I'm, I'm assuming Jesus has hands in here and he probably spit on his hand and maybe spit on his thumbs or something and, and then touched the guy's tongue with his thumbs or something. And just uh, that's the way I see it, kinda like like you know, like that. And I just I want us to kinda put ourselves in that guy's shoes. I did this to Sarah yesterday just to kinda freak her out. And just like, I was like, hey, babe, can you just stand there for a minute? And she goes, okay. And I walked up, and I was like, and you know, I put my fingers up in her ears. And she was like, looking at me like, what are you doing, babe? And I was like, and she's like, what are you doing? And I was like, you know the story? And she goes, no, you're not spitting in my mouth like that, you know. Like, it, but, but I want us to, I want us to, to think about this, really. And really count. I want us to put ourselves in this guy's shoes. He's deaf, he can't hear, he can't speak. His heart must be beaten so fast for one to be brought to a room alone with Jesus, which is awkward already. And Jesus walks up to him and looks him straight in the eye. And the guy is just like, what are you going to do? Eh? Hey? Like, are, are you know, going to put me out of my misery? Like, what is going well, to, I don't even know why I'm here. No one told me. They just kind of dragged me here because he can't hear. He can't hear. He would just probably be sitting around, walking around. They just, like, grabbed him and come over here. And now he's in the room with this guy with a beard. And the guy's like, yeah, fixing to stick his fingers up his ears. And the guy, and Jesus looks him in the eyes. And Jesus puts his fingers into his ears looks him straight in the face, and I can just imagine this guy's heartbeat going crazy. I can imagine it going crazy, but then I also want to imagine that at some point, there was a sense of calmness as he looked into the face of God. And Jesus, with much love and compassion, was staring him in the face. And at that point, he was like, whatever you want, Lord. And at that point, Jesus spit, and he touched his tongue, Boom. He says that his tongue was released and that his ears were open. He says that but when he touched the tongue, that Jesus looked up to the sky. He said, iffafra, iffafra, which means to be opened in Aramaic. And he said, iffafra, like that, which was symbolic of Jesus looking up to God to prove, to show to the deaf man that he was getting his source of healing from God. It wasn't from sorcery, it wasn't from anything else, it was from the Lord. And so he says that, and he says that instantly that man's tongue was released, and that his ears were opened. Now, what, is, what do you think that felt like? Like, did, whenever the ears were open, was it like a popping? Like, you know, when you fly on a plane, and you get off of an airplane, your ears start popping like crazy? Was it something like that? Was it, was it more like, like the ringing in your ear when you get socked in the side of the head with a chancla when you are a kid? Was it, was it like that type of ringing that, that went on in his ears? <coughs> Excuse me. Or was it more like, like whenever you get water in your ears, when you go swimming in, at the beach or you're in the pool, and you get water in your ears and you can't really, like you, you're shaking your ear and you're, you're like trying, pounding your head. And then all of a sudden, you feel the water release and open. you know that sound? That that sound like, you know, like you hear sounds amplify. Or like when you yawn and your ears pop a little bit. And then you yawn again and they open up again. You know what I'm talking about? I imagine that's what this guy felt. I want you guys to know what he felt because I want you guys to really experience what this guy is going through right now. Either way, this guy went through so much stuff, and that one little 10 seconds with Jesus. It says, then scripture says this. It says, he, his ears were open, his, his tongue was released, he can hear, he can speak. And then scripture says this it says, and Jesus charged him to tell no one. It says, Jesus charged him to tell no one. No one. This dude can now talk and hear. He hasn't talked and heard in months and years. And you would think that he wants to go and shout it to the rooftops and tell everyone about it. Because now he can sing now. And, And Jesus is like, shh, don't tell no one. Wow. I'm just, I think that's an odd thing to say to a man who hasn't heard or been able to speak in a long time to not tell anyone about it. Like, for him not to tell anyone about it would mean that he'd have to stay quiet. Because everyone's going to know he can hear and speak now because he's obviously talking to people. He has to tell people about this. Because Jesus charged him not to tell no one. But the more, and then he goes on and says, but the more he charged them, this is all the people in the room, because obviously they know because he walked out probably screaming. And the more that he charged the people not to tell anyone about it, he says, the more he that he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well, and he makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Jesus charges people not to tell anyone about what just happened in this moment. He Charges people—that is a strong word. It means that he gave them clear and positive orders; that there was no doubt to what he said. That'd be like me saying, "Like, I want you to take that trash can and move it from that side of the room to this side of the room." You don't have to think about that. Like, you don't have to be like, "Man, does he want me to roll it, or does he want me to like?" Did he say did the left side or the right side? Like, like, what? Like, no, take it from there and put it right there. He charged him clear positive direction and he clear positive and not only does he charge him once he charges him again and again and again and he's telling them to calm down and not tell anyone about this but there's much zealousy in the room and they are filled with this zealousy that they are pumping themselves up and they can't even listen to Jesus when he tells them not to do something there's a few reasons why Jesus told them not to when he charged them not to say anything one, it could be that Jesus didn't want the, 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 the win of hearts to be based upon his miracles. Like, our whole goal in Christianity is not to win people's hearts based upon what, you know, is cool and fashionable at the time. But Jesus wanted them to be won over by their heart being true and pure to Jesus, not just what was cool and hip at the time. The second reason is Jesus might have told him not to tell anyone to just kind of slow down his fame for a minute. That if he was to blow up in this fame, and if everyone knew who he was, he might not be able to complete his task, which was to go to the cross and die. There was a timeline that he was following. He had to make sure that everyone was in place. And those are great reasons, and they, more than likely those are probably really good reasons, but there's a third reason that I support. And it's this. St. Augustine once said this. St. Augustine said that our Lord desired By putting this restraint upon them to teach them how much more zeal they ought to preach him with. To those whom he commissioned to preach when they were forbidden could not be silent. So Jesus is like saying like, it's it's almost like reverse psychology. Like you can't do this you can't you, you can't do this. But they were like, no, we're going to do this because we're so excited about you, Lord. And they were filled with so much zealousy going on. That they were filled with so much there that they had to tell people. That they had to tell people. It was that that they were just filled with so much love and excitement in their hearts. And it's just like a, a, a racehorse. You guys ever watch the Kentucky 500? And they have all the racehorses lined up in the chutes. And they're there and they're bucking and they're pushing and they want to get past that they want to keep going they want to jump forward and they want to move into the into the race and there's a bar in the way and they can't get past that bar but the more that they push on that bar it doesn't calm them down it pumps them up even more and so that's the way that we need to be with jesus That we need to be so pumped up for Jesus that when he when when he said, "Don't tell no one about this," we need to be like, "No! How can we not tell someone about this? You're that amazing. You're that awesome. Why would he tell us not to tell people about him so that we could be filled with more zealousy?" And my question is this: Again, are you zealous for the Lord? Are you zealous for the Lord? Do you get pumped up when you see him move in your life around you? Do you? Are you willing to tell people with reckless abandon about what he has done for you in your life? This man was once deaf and dumb and now he was healed and he will spend the rest of his life telling people about what Jesus did in his life. He's not going to just one day just nonchalantly like, like not even say it to people. Like they're going to look at him like, yeah, hey, you were once deaf and he couldn't speak. Now you can talk, you can hear. What happened? Man, I'm going to tell you about Jesus, man. And that's just like us in our lives. We need to look at ourselves just like the deaf and, 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 and dumb guy. He couldn't speak, he couldn't hear. He had something that Jesus came and healed his life and we are just like that. That's why I say we need to get into the, his shoes, This man used what Jesus did for him in his life to spread the news about Jesus and devote his life to him. We need to be willing to do that. We need to realize that we too were once dead. The Bible says that we were all dead in our sins and trespasses. That we were all at one point dead in our sins and trespasses, but God came in and made a way for us through his son Jesus Christ. And because he made a way for us, and because we are willing to accept that way, and we are willing to live for him, we must do everything for him. We must devote our lives to him. Everything in our lives must be directed to him. And, and I know what you're thinking, like, well, I got this going on. No, no, you don't have nothing going on. Once you were bought for a price, your soul is no longer yours. Your soul belongs to Jesus. That means that everything we do in our lives should be reflecting the Son of Christ. Everything we do in our lives should be reflecting the Son of God in some way. Everything. From the way we treat our families, from the way we raise our kids, from the way we we love others, from the way that we treat other people, from the way that we operate our finances, from the way that we operate our businesses and the people and employees who are under us, from the way that we even interact with other people who are strangers, everything should reflect the Son of God. Many of us have gifts and talents. But we never use them for God. But God gave us those gifts and talents. Many of us pray to God to give us a job. But when we get the job and we get what we want, we don't honor him with anything from that job. So in essence, if we're doing that on a side note, if you you pray for God to give you a job, but you're not honoring God with that job, you're basically spitting on God and you've used God for your own pleasure and selfish needs. You're basically screwing God over on that part of the deal. And a lot of us will do this. We want God to give us things. We want God to, to bless us. We want God to do all these things for us. But when we get those blessings, we forget about God To the next time we need God. And we only turn to God when we need Him. We never live for Him during the good times. We never live for Him whenever the, during the day-to-day. Some of us want Jesus to heal us and to save us and bless us, but afterwards, there's no jealousy for Him at all. We've emptied our hearts, and we could care less about God as long as we're happy, we have what we want, we don't need God. Ladies and gentlemen, if that is what we are doing today. That needs to stop. is wrong. <laughs> let's stop that in our hearts, and let's start honoring God with everything in our hearts. Amen. Because he has given us everything. I always say, I'm so glad Jesus didn't hold back for us on the cross. I can imagine him up on the cross, willing to die for us. All of a sudden, he's just, eh. Nah, I think I'm going to get off this cross, and then I won't have to, like, die for them. Because I don't have to give everything to them. No, he gave us everything. He gave us his life. He spilled his blood for you and me. And for us to hold anything back from him, is, anything short of our life, is it's just wrong. It's just wrong. So if you don't pray and you don't give him thanks, I challenge you to start. If you don't tithe or give back to him of what he has given to you, start. If you don't use the talents that he has given you for his glory in some way, start. Start doing something. If you don't tell people about the way God has changed your life, if you've never done that, start. Start doing doing something with the life that God has given you. Be zealous. Have a heart that's full of zealousy for him. Be excited for what he is doing. And like the deaf and, and dumb guy who could not speak, and just like him, devote your life to him. Just like the guy in chapter 5 who was possessed by demons and God gave him a second chance at life, he took that second chance at life and he devoted to God, telling everyone about what God had done for him. Start living a life full of zealousy that will honor and exalt the Savior of the world. Let's pray.